I ask these guys to pray, and I never know what's coming. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. I've got, I think one of the things that I enjoy ministry-wise is is um, encouraging other ministers. And that's just a, a thing the Lord's given me in my heart to to be able to do that. And so I meet with church planters. You know, that's like the new business in churches right now is to plant churches. And uh, it's become a business. And there's a st- strategy and how to do that and everything else. And uh, honestly, about 10 or 11 years ago, I sat in my office and said, Lord, I just want to be a part of something that I can't explain. That <clears throat> I can explain everything I've done and... I'd really like to just be able to say, I don't get it, the Lord's doing it, and I I can honestly say, standing here 10 years later, I don't understand it, not asking for money or anything like that, Uh, having a facility that I don't have to manage and clean and and everything else, and it gets renovated and gets, they grow it big enough for us, Uh, I can't explain that, and so, um, yeah, it's just a, it's just an inter- interesting place to be is to walk by the Spirit and just let this adventure do its thing. So, And we have beautiful nights like we did last night. Just a, a beautiful night of seeing dads and daughters dancing and just loving each other. And what a great experience. What a great experience. So uh, thanks for who you are and your involvement in this. Let's... um. We're doing this walk through the Gospels that we started last week, and we kind of gave an introduction. One of the uh, things that I mentioned at the beginning was a harmony of the Gospels. This is actually one of the books right here. This is a harmony of the Gospels. They've taken the four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they've put it in in this book, and they've side by side anything that is that is said in in any book that is the same they've paralleled it and so they've made this easy for you to look at all four books Matthew Mark Luke and John this actual copy was done by uh, Robert Tonless and Stanley Gundry and it's a new American Standard Version there's also the A.T. Robinson uh, version that has that you can get these on Amazon for like 20 bucks if anybody wants this for 20 bucks it's right there so you can have it uh or just take it if you want it that bad uh so let's review real quick just real quick matthew was a disciple of jesus and he was a what a jew he was a jew and so he wrote his gospel to who the jewish all right mark uh was also uh, a follower of Christ. Do you know what his audience was? Who he wrote to specifically? This is probably the more difficult one of all of them. He wrote to the Romans. And then Luke, he was the one that was very specific, detailed. He was a Gentile himself, and so naturally he wrote to who? The Gentiles. A Gentile being anybody that's not a Jew. And then John. John was a Jew himself, and he wrote to the Jews, but he was really expressing that Jesus was the Son of God, and that he had this intimate relationship. So you've got these four men that have written 
similar gospels. They're called synoptics as well. That they're synonyms of each other. They're very similar. Yet they've written from totally four different perspectives. Now last week I said that I wanted to touch on the genealogies of uh, Matthew and Luke that are there. We kind of went through the birth of Christ real quick. But there are actually two different genealogies listed in the scripture, one being in Matthew chapter 1 and the other being found in Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Now watch this with me and stick, stick with me real quick and we'll try to fly through this. If the genealogies in Matthew and Luke are actually combined, we find the following. That Jesus is the Son of God found in Matthew 1.1, and therefore able to sit as king on David's throne. We also find out that Jesus is the son of Abraham in Matthew 1.1, and therefore a Jew of the, uh, therefore a Jew. We also find out that Jesus is uh, the son of Adam in Luke 3. 38. Todd, do we have those? Or did I put those in there? Or? I'll let you throw that, throw that up there. Right there. And the son of Enos, son of Seth, son of Adam, and son of God. So if he's the son of Adam, he is therefore a man. And it also says there in Luke 38 that he is the son of God and therefore God. So just in those two genealogies, we're finding out that one, he is a Jew, that he is God, and that he is man, and that he came from David's throne. This is important because it fulfills the Abrahamic covenant and also the Davidic covenant. We talked about those covenants last week that God promised Abraham that there would be uh, many sons through him and that it would travel through him. And then also he promised to David that the Messiah would come through him. Now, watch this. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 11, and it says, And Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brother, brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Now, if you're flying through Matthew chapter 1 and you're reading those genealogies, you probably skip through all those names. You know, because it's kind of long and such and such begat and begat, depending on what version you're reading. But you get to this one name right here, and then we have to jump back to, like, Jeremiah. And watch this. This is important. Go back to Jeremiah in the Old Testament, and let me read this passage of Scripture to you. Jeremiah 22, verse 24, it says, As I live, says the Lord, though you, Kaniah, son of Jehoiakim and king of Judah, were, were a signet ring on my right hand, I would tear you from it. In fact, I will hand you over to those you dread, who want to take your life, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the Chaldeans. That's a pretty bad deal right there. God's obviously expressing his anger. He says... I will hurt you and the mother who gave birth to you in another land where neither of you were born, and there you both will die. 
They will never return to the land they long to return to. Is this man Coniah a despised, shattered pot, a jar no one wants? Why are he and his descendants hurled out and cast into a land that they have not known? Earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Watch this. This is what the Lord says. Record this man as childless, a man who will not be successful in his lifetime. None of his descendants will succeed in sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. Now, I know you're sitting there like going, well, what does Kaniah have to do with Jeconite? Well, that's the same person. They've just shortened his name there. So there's a problem here. If Jeremiah says in prophecy, none of his descendants will succeed in sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah, yet we go back to Matthew chapter 1, 11, and we see that Jeconiah is like in the genealogy. We got an issue, right? Well, watch this. What you have to understand is that Matthew's record of Jesus' lineage is through Joseph. This is through Joseph, and there's a reason that Jeconiah is in there. It's to prove that if, it, if Jesus is Joseph's son, that he could never be the Messiah. If Jesus really is Joseph's son, there's no way that he could be the Messiah because the prophecy says it's not going to come through Jeconiah. And it just confirms that even though Joseph is his earthly father, he genetically was not his real father. That's a big deal. And then you look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, and it says, Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, is called the Messiah. Now the word actually who right there is feminine. And it's talking about who gave birth. It was Mary that gave birth. Mary gave birth to Jesus. And the Messiah came through who? It came through Mary. That's a big deal. And then that just proves that Isaiah 7.14, which is also prophecy in the Old Testament, says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Jesus came through Mary, not Joseph. And then we turn to like Luke chapter 3, verse 23 through 38. And I look at that whole passage of Scripture right there, Luke 3, 23 through 38, and you've got all the lineage that's going on there. And nowhere in there do you find Jeconiah that's mentioned in Matthew chapter 1, verse 11. And the reason that is, is because now you're not looking at Joseph's lineage, you're looking at Mary's lineage. This is Mary's line coming through here. Mary was a descendant of David through Nathan, found in verse 31, not Solomon that you find in Matthew. That was the case in Matthew chapter 1, verse 6. Again, proving that prophecy that the Messiah would not come through Jeconiah. Now, 
how many times have you like come across Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3 and just blown through it because it's a list of names and you've never, ever, ever seen that? Just the fact that you know it's tied into all 66 books, back to Isaiah, back to Jeremiah, and God had foreseen how this was going to play out. And he clearly shows us in ways that we've never, ever seen before. I want to take you uh, back to where we left off last week. Last week we uh, we finished at John. We finished at John the Baptist when John the Baptist came and he said, "There's the Savior that's coming, and this is him." And remember, he Jesus was in the water and John baptized him. And at that time, the clouds opened up and God says, "This is my Son. This is my Son, who I dearly love." And the dove descended, the spirit descended and sat on Jesus, appeared. And so there we had the first picture of the Trinity all together, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And at this point, now Jesus has been proclaimed the Messiah. He's been proclaimed the one that they have all been waiting for. Now, I don't know about you, but <clears throat> when uh, I get excited about sharing this message or uh, having opportunities to do it, even on like a Sunday morning, I know that uh, there's going to be a battle that takes place. I Call me weird, but I believe in spiritual warfare. I believe that there is an enemy, and I believe that there is a loving God that cares about me and provides for me. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be before I get up here and teach. It could be before I plan a date for my wife. Do you hear me? Like, it doesn't take much to destroy things that you plan on or that you're doing, that there is a... It could be simple. I don't know what it is, but there is a spiritual battle that occurs and that we walk in on a daily basis. So now Jesus has been proclaimed as the Messiah by John the Baptist. And don't you think there's going to be a battle? Absolutely there is. We turn to the next chapter, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, and this is all about Jesus being in the wilderness for 40 days. Now, when you think wilderness, I don't know what you think, but I always thought it was some kind of like, there's a duck right out there. <laughs> He's just walking by. See how the evil one works? Just like put a duck right there. It's like distract me. <laughs> That's hilarious. So uh, the wilderness, the wilderness. What do you think about when you think about the wilderness? I think about, I think about it being grassy. I think about it being just you know out there uh, in the middle of nowhere, and. Uh, 
But now I've seen the wilderness. I've actually gone to the wilderness. If you take a, a map of Israel and you see Israel has the Jordan River going from the Sea of Galilee south to the Dead Sea, everything that is west of the Jordan River is fertile and beautiful and crops are grown and it's an amazing, amazing environment. But if you go east of the Jordan River... It's nothing but hot rocks and just desert. Miles and miles and miles. And that, my friends, is the wilderness. Like for a redhead, ain't happening. They gave us the opportunity to do that tour in 10 days. And if you wanted the additional four days to go to Petra and all that and be out in the wilderness, no thank you. I'm not... I. I mean, I like to see it and everything, but I know I know that I, I probably couldn't do that unless I took a, a gallon of uh, sunscreen with me. But uh, that's the wilderness, and this is watch this watch this passage because this is important. First John, uh, I want to read it to you. Uh, oh, I'll, I'll tell you this first before I read it to you. Once Jesus was identified as the Messiah, he was led away to be tempted. And here's what I want to say to you, is that he was led away to be tempted just as I am. And just as you are. That is, a, that is an important statement for me to say. Jesus was tempted just as I am and just as you are. And we can look at a passage of Scripture, 1 John chapter 2, 15, 17, and you can see how we are tempted. It says, Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For everything that belongs to the world, the lust... <laughs> that duck! <laughs> he just jumped in the window. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> he's sitting on the ledge. <laughs> what is going on? This is awesome. Well, what other church has this, right? <laughs> he said, uh, I, I got you. It says, if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in, one li in one's lifestyle is not from the Father. Like he literally lists three different time, types of temptations here. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but one who does God's will remains forever. Now, you're getting ready to see how Jesus experienced this in the wilderness. But here's the passage of Scripture that does my soul well. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, for we do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. You guys, <laughs> that's a big deal. You're telling me, you're telling me that my Savior my Lord has been tempted just like me. 
like he has the crazy thoughts going through his head. I call that, well, I don't call it, Paul calls that the power of sin. Be careful. Listen to me very clearly. Jesus did not sin. Jesus was perfect. But Jesus had the power of sin working in his head just as you and I did. Like there was temptation that came to him. It says there in Hebrews, he was tempted just as I am tempted. He can, he can sympathize with me. Like literally, I go to this every time. I go to this every time when uh, Micah and Corey and I were all sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus said, Lord, take this cup from me. He wasn't talking about, I don't want to go up on the cross. He was like, Lord, take this cup from me, this earth suit that the power of sin just keeps pounding me. This is like right before he's to go on the cross and he's getting hammered. His disciples are sleeping. He's like, stay up and pray with me. And they're not anywhere around yet. He's getting hammered in his thoughts and everything. And he's like, Lord, just take this cup from me. I'm done with this. This power of sin that just keeps like hitting me and hitting me and hitting me and telling me to run from the cross, telling me not, not to do this. It does me good to know my Father, my Savior, can sympathize with me right here. He knows the battle that I'm in. He knows the battle that you're in. Now watch this as we read this scripture right here. It says, Then Jesus returned from the Jordan, full of the Holy Spirit. Memory just descended upon him. And was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. He wasn't led by the Spirit to the wilderness. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. That's important. That's important. While he's walking through this desert for 40 days in isolation and all these thoughts are coming to him, he's being led by the Spirit. Hello. That's important for you to know. When you're in isolation, when you're getting pounded, it's important for you to be led by the Spirit. He says, for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. Imagine that. Hot, dry land, hungry. He had an earthly body, you guys. He was hungry on day one. 40 days. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. He was human. The devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. That's the first temptation that we see in Luke. It says, I want you to take this rock, and I want you to turn it to bread. This is what First John says is the lust of flesh. I want you to take what you're capable of doing... Satan says to Jesus, you are absolutely capable of taking this rock and turning it into bread so that you can have something to eat. Satan knew that Jesus was powerful enough to do this. And what better way, that was the button he could press on Jesus. Just like you have your button 
He's, you got the power. Do it. And watch this, Jesus says, But Jesus answered him, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone. I take you back to Deuteronomy 8.3. It says, He humbled you by letting you go hungry. Then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your fathers had, had not known, so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You know what Jesus said to Satan? I'm going to quote to you the word of God out of Deuteronomy. I don't have to live on bread alone. And Jesus said, it's not by my power anyway. It isn't by my power that I would turn this stone to bread. If the Father wants to turn this stone to bread, he'll do it. Because I do everything through the Father. And then Satan says to him, So he took, up, took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. This is the second temptation that Luke talks about. Matthew actually flips number two and three, but remember Luke's keeping it in chronological order here. Matthew kind of gives you the dramatic effect by flipping them because it's like the big one here. But he says, so he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I will give you the splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. Like you can rule over the world. Satan has been given. Look, he's been given this authority to rule over this world. Can you not see it? We live in a fallen world. And the evil one has been given the opportunity to rule over this world. To send ducks in windows. To cause pain in our bodies. To do evil things. He's constantly beating us up with thoughts. He says, now, you can rule over this world, and this is now, what First John would say, the lust of the eyes. You can either choose your own will, Jesus, or you can remain faithful to God's will. If you choose your will, that's a lot easier than the cross. I'll just give it to you. And Jesus answered him, it is written, Worship this Lord your God and serve him only. Again, Jesus goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13 and 14. He says, Fear Yahweh your God, worship him, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. Once again, Jesus responded to Satan, the evil one, with Scripture. Verse 9, it says, So he took him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written. <laughs> you see what's coming here? The evil one is getting ready to like quote Scripture just like Jesus did. He says, For it is written, 
He will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. That is Psalm 91.12 that Satan just quoted. He's taken this passage of Scripture and he's distorted it. He's taken it and he's using it for his own good. And he's saying to Jesus, Go ahead, throw yourself down. First John says this is the pride of life. Let's just test the Father. Let's just put God to the test. And Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not test the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 6.16 says this, Do not test the Lord your God as you tested him at Mesa. Now, that's no surprise. When I read that passage, that's no surprise to me that Satan would take a passage of Scripture and he would misuse it. I see it all the time. All the time. We've been given this thing right here. Genesis through Revelation. And it makes sense altogether. But when you start to take a passage out of context and you use it for your own agenda, you're only being led by the evil one. Listen to me. It's important that you understand and know the Word of God in its fullness. I'm not the only one that has to study. I, I love it. I love sitting at my desk and pouring through this and breaking this thing down. I love it. My prayer is that you will too. And that you'll understand what it means to keep things in context. Because honestly, we've already proven in the last few weeks that you can make this thing say whatever you want it to say. And that's exactly what the evil one does. It's all around. I, I'm so thankful for you guys that you can honestly listen to uh, a message and that you can hear what's not true. <laughs> like, I, I hang out with you guys all the time and you, you're able to... My, the kids are able to identify what's not true. The teenagers, the, the children, they're able to identify what's not true when they hear something. I used to go to church and just whatever came out of the pulpit you just agreed with and said that's the truth. Well, that ain't necessarily the truth. And, and listen to me today. Don't believe a word I'm saying. I may be lying to you. Just go to the Bible yourself and figure it out. Figure it out. You don't have to believe me. And watch this. He closes. It says, After the devil had finished every temptation, I don't know if that's, that's every temptation for that 40 days. And I'm sure there was more than three. He departed from him for a time. Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues, being acclaimed by everyone. Jesus is now stirring the waters. (laughs) It gets good. 
Because when he begins to stir the waters, and we got weeks and weeks and weeks of him stirring the waters, Jesus has been proclaimed the Messiah. He goes away from 40 days, and all he does is rely on the Father. And he comes back into town, and all of a sudden, he's recognized. They're looking at him. Could, could this... Could this be the Messiah? You guys, they've spent hundreds of years waiting on the Messiah. And now Jesus has got this aroma. Could he be? Father, I pray that you just unpack the the word with my friends and me. And uh, Lord, I know that we go through the battle. God, thank you that you came here in human form. One, not only to proclaim your goodness, but to say, I I hear you. Rusty, I hear you. I know you're hurting. That you can sympathize with me because you walked here in that earth suit. So, Lord, I pray that you would um, encourage each person here today, that you would just love on them, that you would uh, just hold them today. Just allow them to trust you, allow them to, to read your word, allow them to understand it, enlighten them, Lord. I pray that you would just enlighten them that you would just illuminate the scriptures to them enough that they would want to seek it every day. Father, we love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.